Um, so before we jump in um, and I preach a little bit and we reflect together, let me pray for us as we start. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are a big God. Um, we have big God theology because you are sovereign and nothing catches you off guard or, or by surprise. And so we, we rest in that. We, we really do rest. Um, we try to posture ourselves with stillness and, and quiet before you and allow you to be God even in situations like this where there's just so much um, going on, um, so much disruption of what we consider normal. And so we trust you. We begin this year um, as, as we closed last year, just trusting you, just looking to you. And I just pray that this morning would be encouraging for us. Um, I pray that your word would speak, uh, that you would just let your word loose um, in our heart and our mind and do what you do with your word, that you would apply it to our lives the way that you know we need it. And that ultimately we, um, as a church, we as Reach Montreal would, would be different because of it. And um, Lord, really see this as a season where you're not stopping your work. Uh, just because we can't do certain things doesn't mean you're not doing what you do. And so we just want to welcome you, Lord, and, and ask and invite you, Lord, into all of the kind of big stuff and small stuff that we're all processing and working through right now, and that it would make much of you. So we love you. And we thank you. And we uh, yeah, ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so happy new year. I mean, it's, it's been an amazingly long 21 months, I think, uh, for all of us in many different ways. I think it just feels like at this point, a weird dream, uh, where again, there's like a disruption of space time. Like I, it's it, uh, having conversations over the holidays. is just kind of like, yeah, remember like when the pandemic started in like near like 1991. Cause you're like, Oh no, it was 2020. And you honestly just have no idea. You feel so discombobulated with even where we are and what we're doing. Um, and I think that's all of us. I think there's a strangeness to this season that we can all just admit that we're all feeling for different reasons. Um, and frankly, 2021, looking back and kind of just, just looking and reflecting on the year, 2021 really was just a, a sequel to 2020. It brought so much of what 2020 did. Um, and that's that's good stuff, but also tough stuff. Uh, but we definitely have experienced a disruption of our rhythms, uh, a general kind of frustration, um, a disappointment maybe, unrest uh, for many of us, conflict, uh, stress for, for lots of different reasons, uh, and loss. I mean, many of us have walked through seasons of loss in this last year. Um, and we're, we're trying to walk into a new year, um, understanding what tensions, what anxieties, and what things lie ahead. And so I think in this last, uh, really, 21 months, we've experienced a lot of crisis. Um, we've experienced a crisis of thought, of how do we actually think critically and deeply and truly about things, uh, but also a diversity of thought. I think we've all had our worldviews and our opinions and our perspectives challenged, um, our beliefs and our convictions um, re-evaluated, re um, some of our patterns, our rhythms interrupted. And a lot of what was normal has been stripped away. And now we, we really do have to understand what a new normal or normalizing things looks like for us in this disrupted state. Um, and I think if we're honest too, the last couple of years, we've seen some of the worst of humanity, but also some of the best. And I, I don't want us to kind of come into 2022 without that hope of looking, saying like, maybe there's a disruption right now and not what we would, would have desired or expected, but we can actually understand that some of the best work and things have been happening um, in the midst of some of these worst situations. And so for you, I don't know where you are. I don't know um, exactly. I know where some of you are. I know where, where we are as a family. I know the way that we've been processing some of this. 
for for you, um, it either kind of leaves you feeling maybe relieved that last year is gone and you've kind of reset now. And even even with the circumstances not being ideal, you've at least set yourself forward saying, oh, I'm going to be encouraged. I'm going to be relieved. I'm going to set new goals. I'm going to learn from last year and I'm going to move into the new year. So maybe that's where you are. And that's that's good. Celebrate that. But many of us, I think, and I would say the majority of us are feeling everything but that. We're feeling very discouraged maybe tired, maybe deflated, um, or just even the new year. New year brings about all sorts of stuff for us. It's kind of like, yay, we made it around the sun one more time. You know, uh, that's amazing, right? Or, or yay, same circumstances, same patterns, same COVID, same feelings, new year, yay. And so I, I don't know where you are on the spectrum of, of either feeling relieved um, or just deflated. But I do think wherever you are, this right now, this moment together, this first time that we can actually digitally gather, be together and have our thoughts and kind of prayers and reflections come together. I do think that new years, like when you actually have a new year, it is really is a great opportunity to reflect. I think it's a, it's a great, it's a forced way for us to look back and to look ahead. We're actually forced to do it because it is a new, new, new day, new year, new week, new month. And there's something about that. That's like a forced uh, rhythm for us to look in the rear view and look back on what just happened and then also kind of drive forward into wherever we're headed this year. And I think the word that came to mind as I kind of like reflected on this is liturgy. This is actually like a fourth, a forced liturgy for us. Um, liturgy, I know sometimes is strange depending on what Christian tradition we come from, but mainly in Protestant evangelical, uh, worlds, we just like ignore the liturgical calendar, uh, usually, um, and then maybe like do something for Advent or maybe Lent a little bit or Pentecost or Easter, but there's a rich history throughout the, the church of, of liturgy, of a liturgical calendar, a rhythm that actually gives like a, a beat and a pace to our, our week, our month. Um, seasons of the year and then our year as a whole. And the word liturgy, the, the Greek word it comes from, really just means work of the people. And so, so the word liturgy is just this idea that there is a structure to our work and that we have a, a direction and a rhythm and a structure, like a trellis to a vine, that there's something that we can work towards or work up. That's what a liturgy provides for us. And all of life really is liturgical. All of life is a liturgy. Because our actions, how we live, determine our experiences and also train our desires. So you and I, we live out liturgies every single day. Small ones, like micro liturgies, like how you wash your face and how you brush your teeth, right? And macro ones of like, what are my goals for this year? What are some of my personal goals, my spiritual disciplines, my family goals, my, my own goals with my, my career, whatever it is, my education. Those are like broader liturgies that we, we commit to. Um, James K.A. Smith, in uh, the way that he speaks about liturgies, he says that liturgies aim our love to different ends by training our hearts through our bodies. And I think that's really true is that the way that our body goes through daily and weekly and monthly rhythms actually trains our appetites. It rewires the way we think, but also how we feel and some of our desires. And so think about this from the perspective of daily and weekly habits, that you have a liturgy that you live in. And maybe you've never consciously thought, what is my liturgical pattern, right? Because we don't use that word anymore. But if you think, what are my habits, 
you think, what are my daily habits? The repeated actions that you do every day. Those are your liturgies. Those are the things that are forming and shaping you. But also, those are the things that are showing you what your appetites and desires are saying about uh, life and what's most important to you. I think that in a lot of ways, our habits actually point to our treasure. Our habits actually point to what is most important, what we prioritize more than anything. And usually when you hear the word habit, it's using negative, right? So I got to kick this habit. I got to, you know, uh, do that. I got to get rid of this from my life. And that's true. There are negative habits. There's a bad habits, but really habits are just repeated actions that shape and structure our daily lives. Okay. So there's a saying that, you know, I've, I've shared before, but how you spend a day. So 24 hours is how you spend your life. And that's all back to habits, how you spend your day, what you do, with every hour of every day, ultimately makes up the drop in the bucket of your entire life. And so really, your life is really just a um, total of all the habits that you've had throughout day-to-day life. So every day, you and I, we're forming new habits, we're shedding old ones, and we're reinforcing habits. And sometimes those are good habits, and sometimes those are bad ones. Um... I read some stuff just on like neurochemistry and like all the nerdy like stuff of what habits do to our brain and our bodies. And what the experts are saying is that the first and last 15 minutes of your day, specifically your brain, your brain for the first 15 minutes after you wake up and the last 15 minutes before you go to sleep actually shape you more than what you do in the rest of your day. And so if you spend the last 15 minutes you know, binging Netflix and then you fall asleep on the couch. Uh, and then you wake up and you scroll through Facebook. The second you, you wake up and grab for your phone, um, something's happening to you. Like there's actually something happening in your brain and you're training, um, really a course for your day. You're like shedding something across your day. Uh, but if you like end your day with, with silence and laying in bed, and reflecting and meditating and you start your day by by doing the same thing with prayer uh, before your feet even hit the ground out of your bed you're you're picking up your bible you're putting your audio bible on whatever it is that something actually is happening in your brain um uh, there's a book called the power of habit by uh, an expert called charles duhigg uh great name um and he he defines habit like this a behavior that starts as a choice and then becomes an unconscious pattern So a habit is a behavior that starts with a choice. I'm going to do this, but then that choice becomes an unconscious pattern. So you become like your habits. It actually shapes you, shapes your character, shapes your appetites, shapes what you want to do and when you want to do it. It all comes back to your habits. Uh, Michael Horton, New Testament theologian, says that character, who we are, is largely a bundle of habits, what we do. Okay, so character, who you are, is actually just a bundle of what you do. Those are intricately connected. They're not separate things. Uh, John Mark Comer, again, uh, a pastor in, in, in the States, says that what you give your attention to is the person that you become. Okay, so we just have to be honest about, look as we look back and maybe set new habits or look back on the year and be like, how did I actually live? What did I do with my time and my energy? Uh, it's especially true right now that we really should reevaluate and reexamine some of this with another disruption to some of our habits. Right now, you and I are going to experience a disruption of our rhythms. 
It's, there's going to be things fighting for your time and energy and attention now that maybe they weren't three months ago when we were trying to get back to some kind of a kind of post pandemic or out of the COVID, um, you know, disaster that we're all feeling, right? But with another disruption now to what was considered normal, we actually have an opportunity. And I want us to kind of focus on that opportunity this morning as we're, I mean, day two in the new year. Um, maybe some of you were really diligent and you thought through all of your like resolutions and habits and rhythms already, but maybe not. And if you haven't yet, this is the opportunity to really reflect well, to look during this a new disruption of normal, to, to take this opportunity to reset your habits, to reset some of your rhythms, to look at your energy and your time and actually say, I want my energy and time to contribute to my character, to actually shape me, not just kind of deplete me. I want to contribute to, to a character that reflects who God is and what God's doing in me. And so I would say, uh, whether you're a fan of New Year's resolutions or not, I think New Year is a key moment in our annual calendar where we're forced to re-examine our own liturgies, forced to re-examine our own habits. We look back and we look forward. We look back to learn and reflect and reevaluate, but we also get to look forward, to plan, to strive, and to prioritize. And I think that's what really New Year's resolutions are. New Year's resolutions are really just habits that we commit to, to try to tweak things, right? Try to make some changes, to try to chart a new path forward because we learned some stuff from this past year. And so today, as we kind of like think and biblically unpack a little bit of this, um, really take this as a, as a time for reflection. Um, as you chart rhythms, as you look at your time, your energy, uh, your attention, where has your attention gone? Uh, the biggest part of your attention, uh, your money and, and your resources and what you've been able to steward, your relationships, your priorities, all of that. Take all of that. And today, as we look um, and, and kind of get into scripture a little bit about this, we're going to look specifically at what we could be practicing and how we can practice well. Um, so this morning, as we start that um, and as we start the year, uh, believe it or not, I'm not going to talk to you about slaying your personal goals. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, hey, new year, new you, let's go get it, baby. Um, but instead, we're going to look and say, okay, what is a renewed focus on practicing life as a disciple of Jesus look like? A renewed focus on actually practicing life as disciples of Jesus. Not just knowing more things, not being able to quote more theologians, not being able to follow my favorite influencer, but actually practicing me and you practicing this. So rather than having like new year, new me, again, no one has said since 2019, this is my year, right? Anybody who said that, they were kidding themselves. No one's like looking at 2022 being like, yeah, baby, my year, gonna slay things. Um, so instead, instead of being like, yeah, this is my year, I'm gonna show up. Instead, let's look and say, well, new year, new habits. Let's actually look and say new habits for this year. I'm gonna set a new course and really evaluate where I'm coming from so I can figure out where I'm headed. Okay, uh, because I, I do think everything worthwhile actually requires practice, right? So things that come easy to you don't require practice because they're easy to you. But the things that are actually hard, do hard work, do hard things. And when you do hard things, those require practice. And hard things are the things that actually create perseverance and, and, and create character and, and create faith and trust and put us into that deeper uh, relationship with God. So it's our character that's being formed. Not just our thoughts, not just our emotions, but our actual character, who we are, okay? And if, if we're looking at this honestly, what follows is that if our habits actually shape who we are, 
then few things are more important in the Christian life than spiritual habits. Spiritual habits. And I think these are very misunderstood because, again, in our in our era of self-help, um, we're the empowered ones who can basically do anything we set our mind to. And so what happens is spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines and practices just become kind of a Christianized version of helping ourselves and doing better with God. And I would say that's, if we start there, spiritual habits and disciplines will be very difficult. Because if you and I believe that the point of the Christian life is immediate gratification, quick fixes, and being blessed by God, then spiritual habits will get dry very quick. Spiritual habits will get really old and will move on to something that's going to just give me shiny lollipop, Christian, you know, quick fixes because, because like the long drawn out grind of character formation is really not that fun. And ultimately it doesn't give me what I want in the moment. And now that's interesting, especially because it takes an average of 66 days to break a habit and form a new one. 66 days. So again, some of us were like, okay, new year, I'm going to read my whole Bible. And like three days in, you're like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, yeah, well, but, but 66 days is required to actually break out of like my, my dopamine kick of like, Ugh, I'm going to go stream and, and scroll on Facebook versus I'm going to go pick up my Bible. Or I'm just going to go sit in a room quiet by myself and try to be still and know God. It's like that, that would, that takes us over two months. And like, we're like two days into it going like, nah, I don't know. Netflix sounds pretty awesome right? And so we got to be honest with ourselves about how we've already been preconditioned to fail at spiritual habits, okay? So you're not neutral to this. You and I are already preconditioned, pre-wired to fail at this, okay? Which is why we need that much more strength and focus on how we do this. Because the aim of the Christian life is not immediate gratification and quick fixes. It's not. The aim of the Christian life is to be conformed into the image of Christ, And the only way to be conformed into the image of Christ is to commit ourselves to a practice of spiritual habits that will actually do that. That we mimic our master. That we actually walk and follow after him. We don't just believe what Jesus said in our head. We actually live like Jesus lived. Uh, Eugene Peterson, probably my favorite definition of discipleship, like what it means to be a Christian is that discipleship is long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. Now that sounds like a really bad pitch to try to get more people to come and follow Jesus, doesn't it? Because usually we're just like, well, I want something like right now and to like bless me, like based on how I define blessing. That's what I want. I want just like that to be really, really good for me because we have us at the center. But if we have Christ and being conformed into his image at the center, of how we live, then a long obedience in the same direction makes way more sense because we're going to fumble and trip and stumble towards Jesus in the same direction, the direction that he's called us in. Okay. So as you look back on 2021, how did you do? How did you do with this kind of mentality? Like your thought world and your heart world. Where did you see signs of growth in you? I know it's so easy to make this about someone else. Like be like, well, my spouse struggled. And it's like, I don't know, so-and-so. I I really saw them not grow. No, no, you. Okay, so you. Where, what can you celebrate about your own growth this year? Or maybe the opposite. Maybe this year was a year of struggle. A year of distraction. A year of sin. Just private, hidden sin. And you've just really struggled. Like you've really, really had to wrestle with, with where God is even at and what you're even doing. 
Okay, so in 2021, as you do that, it's very helpful to look and say, okay, what can I celebrate about last year? But where did I struggle? Where am I hurting? Where do I need to grow? Where do I need God to to show up more? And to take that time and, and be quiet and slow down and reflect and take stock of the major events of 2021. One thing I've been trying to do over the last several years is as I reflect, not just annually, but even weekly, daily, as I just experience stuff and go through life, I try to ask, what is this doing to my heart? Like, what are these habits doing to me? What are these things, these events in the world pulling out of me? What are they revealing about me? Are these things revealing anger or gratitude? Are these things revealing selfishness or generosity? Like, like what, are, what are the things that are happening in my day-to-day life and in the world today doing to me? What is it revealing about me? Because it's so easy, family, to focus on what it's doing to everybody else. And then to to tribalize around like, well, so-and-so and and that group and they're the problem. It's all of them. And it's like, no, 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 we are, right? Like, so my heart and what the the events and and, and processes are doing to me, okay? I need to focus on me. Jesus teaches that out of the human heart comes all the brokenness that we see in the world. So if we start there and we look and we let, let me challenge my own heart world. Let me challenge my own beliefs, my own perspectives, my, my own view of others. That ultimately does lead to a much healthier way for us to live in community together. All right, so let's just jump into 1 Timothy. We're going to read a few verses. 1 Timothy 4. Um, yeah, grab your Bibles um, or grab your phones, whatever it is that you want to just follow along. This has become like a, a pretty key life verse for me over the last several years, just as, as, as I've thought through the Christian life. Like, what does it actually look like to, to follow after Jesus? Um, and if you, you know, you can go read the whole of 1 Timothy in about 12 minutes. But if you, if you know what, what Paul is doing in, in Timothy is he's writing to a younger leader in the church, uh, the Apostle Paul, who he has coached and mentored and brought up. And he's really showing him here, especially, uh, what it looks like to... Uh, live a life for God. I mean, so just very, very practically speaking. And then he goes in, well, some won't, won't stick around. Like there'll be a lot of people who don't stick around for this. And then he gets into what it looks like to be a servant of Christ Jesus. And here's, here's the verses. So 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. So if you put these things before the brothers and the sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Because of that, so have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. So so underline that one. Have nothing to do with it. Controversies, conspiracies, things that have nothing to do with God. Have nothing to do with those things. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The word for irreverent there is godlessness. So have nothing to do with godless, silly, silly nonsense. Have nothing to do with all that. Rather, have everything to do with training yourself for godliness. Four, and he goes in and explains why. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for now, the present life, and also for the life to come, for the future. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, the end that he just described, godliness, we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. 
Now, there's a lot there. Uh, I just want to focus on a couple things that he draws out here. And it's a few key words that he uses, verbs, action words here. And if you notice, it's a, th these words are very active words. And I think so often with our spiritual habits and disciplines, it's like we get saved. It's like, okay, I trust Jesus now. And then it's like, then you sit there and you're like, Jesus, make me into this amazing Kung Fu spiritual ninja. But then we don't do what Jesus actually shows us to do. And so if you notice some of the key words there, discipline yourself for godliness. You, you do it. Train yourself for godliness. Like, like work out. Toil. He uses toil. He uses strive, right? And we're striving towards a future hope. Notice he says that there's value in the present of this work of godliness. There's value, but ultimately it's a future hope that we're striving towards that we're toiling, they're working towards it. And that there's actually a point to this. This thing is going somewhere. And even though on the days when we don't experience that immediate gratification of our work, we can continue to have future hope because Jesus coming and doing what he did was nothing short of him bringing the future and pulling it into the present with the kingdom of God. And that word for discipline in Greek is, uh, is gymnasium. It's where we get, it's the Greek word where we get gymnasium from. So there's an exercising to it. There's a like a sweaty training, like practical kind of, well, we're in the gym. And it's just like, well, if you're not in the gym and you're surprised that you're out of shape, well, that you shouldn't be because you're not in the gym. And that's exactly what Paul is getting at with Timothy here. And he's saying, listen, continue to exercise, continue to practice, continue to commit yourself to habits that do have present value, but ultimately have future value that works its way back into our lives. And be intentional about it. Plan it. Take your time, your work, and your energy, and actually make it the trellis, make it the structure for the rest of your life. And so if we use the word discipline here, right, spiritual disciplines, disciplines are habits to be learned and practiced as we become like Jesus. And you just got to hear this because this is so important because church, we are, we are saved by faith through grace alone, through Christ alone. Amen. But we are saved to good work. Amen. We are saved to a fruitful life. And so, so without discipline, there is no discipleship. Without practice, there is no progress. No one drifts into spiritual kung fu-ness. No one drifts into a spiritual growth. Just like you and I don't drift into a six-pack. We drift into a one-pack, right? Spiritually, we drift into a one-pack. Your natural drift and mine is away from God, not towards Him. And so this requires serious thought, serious intentionality, and practice and commitment um, my favorite example of this, and uh, the kids want to rewatch the the new Karate Kid, but my 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 favorite example is Mr. Miyagi and Daniel-san in the original Karate Kid, right? Where he has Daniel-san, Mr. Miyagi, the sensei, the, the master, he has Daniel-san wax used cars, right? Wax on, wax off, right? Paints a fence. He sands a deck, right? In the new one with, uh, with uh, Jackie Chan, and, and Jaden Smith, he, he's hanging the jacket on the, the coat rack over and over and over again and putting the jacket on, putting it on the coat rack, putting the jacket on in the rain. Like there's like scenes where he's just like in the rain doing it miserable, right? And over and over and over again in the Karate Kid, there's these like repeated actions that are being learned that have nothing to do with karate, nothing to do with what they're actually going to do. And each time they want to quit, 
right? So the Karate Kid wants to quit until Mr. Miyagi starts sparring with him one day. And then he starts to realize that all of the repeated motions that he was doing become the skills and the reflexes that he's actually developed from those tasks that in the moment he thought were useless. He's like, why am I in the rain holding, hanging this coat up and putting it back on until he starts sparring. And then he like looks at his hands. Like he's like, he's like, Whoa, like I'm a ninja. This is crazy because all of those repeated actions that he's practiced have worked its way into his muscle memory, have worked its way into his nervous system. And the Christian life is exactly like this. The Christian life is about working these things, practicing the things that God has told us to, to to say, commanding you to do this, live like this, because it's that muscle memory spiritually that we're building so that proactively, when life comes at us, not if, but when it does, when sin tempts us, when disobedience is just sitting right there as an option, it's the muscle memory of our heart spiritually that we've practiced the habits that we've developed that we too will end up looking at our life going like whoa i didn't know i was even capable of that it's because you weren't doing it you were practicing what god has told us to practice and then it starts to come out of you right so the christian life is so much like this because we're following after our master not always knowing how he's going to do what he's going to do but we do know the why we, don't, we do know why he's doing what he's doing. We do trust him because he is good. And we do look back and see what he has accomplished for us. And then we can look forward and see what he's going to continue to fulfill, right? Um, a few verses later in the same text in 1 Timothy, um, Paul just says, so practice these things, right? So just practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be seen by all. Okay, so we, we actually come into the Christian life. Yes, we're saved by no effort of our own. Amen. Grace through faith in Christ alone. That is so true. But now we trust the process because we trust the one that we're following. And we go and we practice what God has done. We practice what Jesus has modeled for us. We go and commit ourselves to lives that are disciplined in the way that he has called us to be disciplined. Okay, so I'll give you a few examples across scripture because this is everywhere. I'll just give you three, okay? So if you're taking notes, you can write these ones down and, and revisit them later. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we hear that all over scripture, right? Awe of God is the beginning of true wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding and his praise endures forever. So that you and I can actually practice a wise life. That we're actually called to practice wisdom. That's very interesting. That takes wisdom from being just knowledge, things in our head, to lived out knowledge, an experiential wisdom, that we can actually practice lives of wisdom. Um, Isaiah 32, 6, another example, says, The fool speaks foolishness, and his heart is busy with iniquity. To practice ungodliness... Okay, so you can practice ungodliness too. Now watch how Isaiah defines ungodliness. To utter error concerning the Lord, lies, and to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied and deprive the thirsty of drink. So ungodliness looks like neglect. Neglect of true needs. Neglect of a pursuit of true justice. That's ungodliness. So ungodliness isn't just doing bad ungodly things but that we can practice ungodliness by being a fool, by being a sloth, Proverbs says, 
by living a life of neglect for the things that matter most. That's ungodly. So it's not just sins of commission of like, I'm doing bad things. It's also what I'm not doing, right? That that is practicing ungodliness. And then last Philippians four, verse nine, what you have learned and received and heard and seen, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So as mysterious and wild as it might be, God promises to actually be in the practice of spiritual habits. And so just think about spiritual habits as practicing what's right when you don't feel like it. So you eventually get to the place where you feel like doing what's right. Okay. That's really important because we have to put our feelings where they belong because hard things, I don't know. I don't know about you. I don't ever feel like doing hard things, but hard things lead us to doing good things. And so spiritual habits are practicing what's right when we don't feel like it so that we eventually get to the place where we feel like doing what's right. And so for you, I don't know which spiritual habits are the the most difficult, the most challenging for you, Um, whether it's silence and solitude or or scripture, like how to deal with the Bible, uh, serving, being on mission and and practicing hospitality and generosity. That's a spiritual discipline. Uh, Fasting. Maybe that, that's that's your, your big one, your tough one. Uh, prayer, which is I really struggle with prayer. So I don't know which spiritual habit is 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 the one that really is like, man, that one's really hard for me. Like that, I don't feel like doing that. I really don't like doing that one. But I will tell you, that one, the one that's hardest for you is the one that you need the most. The one that's hardest for you is the one that you need the most because you are weak in that area, right? So So that exercise, it's like that exercise is really hard. Right. So you could go back to doing like ab work after never doing a crunch for like three decades. And then you're like, you're trembling, your whole body's like, ah, and you're like mid through the crunch. You're like, what in the world? Well, it's because you, you, you have now under underdeveloped muscles. Right. And so now you need to work even harder because you're weak in that area. Spiritual habits are very much that very similar. So do your best to understand that those habits that you find, like some of you prayer is like where you, like you're just like walking through life as a prayer warrior and you're killing it. That's awesome. Continue to do that. Use those gifts and those strengths. However, you never read your Bible, right? So it's just like, so you don't know what God's really saying, but you're always like telling him stuff, right? And so if that's the case, then it's like, well, I really have to be intentional about how I'm going to approach the word of God, how I'm going to study and meditate and learn and internalize God's word. That's where I struggle. Okay. So that's just an example. But for you, as you reflect, think, think of the habits, the spiritual habits that we, we know, we know are part of the Christian life. Which ones are the hardest for you? Silence. Just like you, you just don't do silence. Yet God says, be still and know that I am God. It's like, so yet there's actually something about knowing who God is in the quiet place, in the silence, uh, solitude, right? Just being alone with God, going to the quiet place like Jesus does, uh, scripture, serving and community and generosity. You don't give, you just don't give. You don't give your time. You don't give your money. You don't give your energy. Um, you don't serve, right? That's a spiritual habit. It's a spiritual discipline that we're commanded, uh, fasting, prayer, whatever it is. Okay. So those are just some examples for us. Here's what I want us to do today before we're done. I want us to, we're going to look at two habits. Okay. We're just going to focus on two of them and I want them to be just a refresher for you of like, here's ways that we can really commit to these spiritual habits. Okay. So first, number one is meditating on God's word, meditating on God's word. Now notice I didn't say reading it. Notice I didn't say going to more Bible studies. The word meditating on God's word is intentional. 
Um, I'll tell you why in a second. But if there's one thing that you need most in 2022, just hear me very clearly. If there's one thing you need more of in 2022, it's a daily and weekly reminder of who God is and what God says about himself. You need a reminder of who God is and what God says about himself. You need to saturate everything about you. You need to marinate your heart and mind in who God is. Because if you do not, you will come up with a image of who God is and live in light of that because we can't help ourselves. That's what we do. And God's word reveals what God is like. God's word shows us what God has said and who God is. But it also reveals what we are like. So God's word reveals what God is like and what we are like. So be careful. It's not just history or story or law or teachings or parables. It's all of that. But all of that comes together to create this memoir of who God is. The Bible is the written word that points us to who God is specifically in Jesus, the living word. Right? So there's this thread all throughout scripture, this thread all throughout history that ends up and finds its fulfillment in the work and person of Jesus. And so we got to be really, really intentional about this because often our relationship to the Bible becomes the focus. Okay. And that's an important thing to consider. How can I relate to the Bible? How can I learn? How can I glean and like mine out as much from the Bible as possible? That's a great question. But even more important than that, we have to understand that scripture is the means to an end. Scripture is not the end. You mastering the Bible is not the point of your Christian life. Scripture is the means to the end of a relationship with God. Scripture is our portal into relationship with God. Uh, A.W. Tozer said this really well. He said, the Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring people to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God that we may enter into him and that we may delight in his presence and may taste and know the inner sweetness of God himself. Now, some of you already, you're like, that's what the Bible's supposed to do? Like, like I don't, I do not, that's not my experience of the Bible. And I would say that that's a really important thing for you to realize. That if the Bible has become the point, knowing more of the Bible, instead of the Bible becoming the means to the end of knowing and tasting and experiencing the goodness of God, then we have to adjust our relationship to the Bible. So this year, as you think about the Bible, and we sent an email out a couple of days ago with some options of how to approach Bible reading. Um, you can use them. You can use lots of other ones. If you want ideas, ask me. I'd love to explore those with you. I try to do something different every single year because my attention span is awful. Okay. Um, but this year, listen, don't just set goals to read the Bible, get through mo more of it and know more stuff about the Bible. Okay. That's your goal. Just delete that goal and set a new one today. Because what we need to do is understand that meditating on scripture actually leads us to relationship with Jesus. And it's crazy because that's Jesus's warning and, and like what exactly what he does to the Pharisees in John 5, where he says to them, hey, like you search the scriptures, that's good, because you think that it's in them that you have eternal life. It's knowledge, it's more Bible verses that you think that's what's going to give you eternal life. But it's they that bear witness about me yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You refuse to come to me. And listen, in ministry as a pastor, I know lots of leaders, 
lots of Christians, lots of pastors who actually just use the Bible as their safe place instead of actually coming to God. Like, like coming to me, Jesus says, so that you can have life. And so we have to be careful not to make that the end of the Christian life. The point of the Christian life is not knowing more about the Bible. The point of the Christian life is knowing and meditating on God's word so that we will come to taste and see him in his fullness. And so for you, without daily meditation on God's word, you will not grow. You will not be changed. You will not fight sin. You will not make a difference. And your experience of the power and presence of God will not be possible. And sometimes, if we're honest, we're like, I feel far from God. I feel far from God. And as a pastor, I hear that. It's like, oh man, I just feel really far from God. You're like, oh, okay. Uh, so what do you, what kind of, like, how are you living? Like, what, what ways are you drawing near to God? And you're like, oh, well, I'm not. I'm like, okay, so you're not reading your Bible? No. You're not praying? No. You're not giving or serving? No. You're not fasting? No. Okay, so you're not doing any of the things that would actually have you experience the presence and power of God and you feel far from him, right? Yes. Okay, that's why. That's why. So, so God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And we have all the ways that we can draw near, right? And so we begin to practice these things and, and he draws near to us as we practice these things. So the biggest threat to your life in 2022, okay, is not, it's not the devil. It's not COVID. It's not the unvaxxed. It's not the government. It's not how your investments do. Uh, it's not whether you graduate or what job you get. The biggest threat to your life in 2022 is a closed Bible. It's living your entire year without the words of God who saved you. Okay, that, that's the biggest threat. And, and just understand that there's always words fighting to define you. Okay, always. There's always a teleprompter. There's always somebody's words fighting to define you, to shape you, and to give you identity and tell you what you should seek after. Tell you what you should value most and ultimately. That's, what's wor- that's what words do. Words do shape. Words do change. Words do um, really set the course for how we're going to live. And so if the words of God are not being internalized into our muscle memory and being being there to remind us of who God is and who we are in light of that, someone else's words will. Someone else's words will. And I know we've talked about this a lot over the last couple of years where we have, honestly, our browsers are open and our Bibles are closed. And then we wonder why the church looks how it looks. We wonder why we are experiencing the kind of chaos in our own hearts, right? And so, so the idea of us saying like, we're going to come with an open Bible, that, that's a good thing. That's a good habit to commit to. But I want to zoom in specifically on the word meditate. Meditate on God's word, okay? And here's what that means. It changes our, our approach to it because what you end up doing when you approach the word with meditation is that you actually aim for quality over quantity, you actually aim for understanding instead of achievement. And I know we're all guilty. It's like, well, I did my Bible reading, right? So you look and you're like, well, I did it. And you're like, yeah, but did you get any of it? Like, like did you meditate on any of it? Did it actually get deeper into your nervous system? Did, did you actually go deeper? Or is it just like a superficial skim of like, well, I got through it. Like I got through the reading, right? And so what ends up happening is we end up having like, we're an inch deep and a mile wide in our understanding of scripture. Rather than saying, well, I'm going to maybe not get through as much quantity, but I'm going to focus on quality and I'm going to be deep. I'm going to go deep this year. 
Even if it's one book of the Bible that you go deep with this year, like I'm going to go deep into Exodus. I'm going to go deep into a gospel. I'm going to go deep into whatever it is. And you're like, just one book of the Bible. I'm going to go really deep. I'm going to study it. I'm going to get a commentary. I'm going to really master this. That, I, in my opinion, is better than having a superficial understanding of lots of the Bible, but never actually meditating and reflecting deeply on any of the Bible. Okay, so, so think about it as an anchor. How are you going to anchor your life this year, your identity, your goals, your priorities on the word? What does that look like for you? Some of you, quantity is an option because you're able to do that well. And that's good. Go for it. Go crazy. Um, But many of us, I would say most of us, we can end up going kind of an inch deep and a mile wide and then still feel this uncomfortable relationship with the word because we don't actually know it. We haven't actually meditated on it. We actually haven't um, internalized it the way that we are, are called to. And so when I say meditate, okay, it's a bit of a buzzword, right? Because you hear the word meditate and you're like, you think like $8 chai lattes and Lululemon pants, okay? That's not it. That's not what I'm talking about when I say meditate. Um, the Eastern, you know, Eastern meditation that the Western suburban moms and dads have hijacked because this is what we love to do. We just like colonize everything else and then bring it here and be like, look, my Lululemon and my my plyometric ball, look at me on this thing. Um, but... Eastern meditation is very different than like biblical meditation. Eastern meditation is about emptying your mind and self and actually detaching, right? So there's an idea of like emptying self and detaching and then looking into self to find where the answers are. So that's, that's kind of like the, the MO of Eastern meditation. But biblical meditation is the exact inverse. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with who God is and what God says and allowing him to change us from the inside out. Uh, Psalm 77, 12 says, I will reflect on all your work and I will meditate on your deeds. I'll meditate. So like I'm going to fixate and then I'm going to internalize and I'm going to push those things deep down into my person. That's, that's what meditation looks like biblically. Uh, the Hebrew word for meditate is, um, it's like growl. It's like mutter. So like imagine um, if you've ever seen the wailing wall in Jerusalem where they're just standing at the wall doing this, muttering under their breath, while they're standing, they're praying. And that's like a form of meditation that they're actually meditating on the Old Testament, on the Old Covenant. And they're doing this and they're repeating it over and over and over and over again. Now, can you do mindless repetition and it not change you? Of course. But if we never meditate, never actually come and, and understand that we got to really internalize this, it also never changes us. Okay? So think about like a dog with a bone. A lot of you... Um, dog parents, right? You get your dog a bone and hours the dog plays with it, you know, messes it around, throws it across the living room, growls, slobbers on it, chews on it and digests it. And now what's crazy is like quicker than you think that bone just goes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. But they're not going like taking a big bite out of it and swallowing the whole thing. They're going and they're just digesting it and and and, and um, playing around with it and, and growling and chewing on it. And that's exactly what the Hebrew word for meditate means. That we are to approach the word of God like that. That we are supposed to come and chew on the word of God. So think like, you know, cows chewing the cud, right? Which is kind of gross to think about, right? But they just like chew the cud, swallow, and then regurgitate it again, right? Gross. And then they chew on it again. And then they regurgitate it, swallow it. Then they regurgitate it out of one of their like 11 stomachs. Just kidding, it's four. But like it goes to their one stomach, comes up, they chew it again, you see it in their cheek, right? That's why cows are always doing that, right? They're chewing the cud. Think about that. And your approach to the word of God, that you're internalizing it, like the juices of it, 
You're chewing the cud. You're digesting the word of God and, and the nutritional value is just flowing into the rest of your body, right? And actually all over scripture, feasting on the word and eating the word is all over the place. And I think that's exactly why Jesus shows up and makes a meal, the center of what he accomplishes on the cross, a meal. Because all over scripture, there's this idea that just like everything else we eat, metabolizes, digests, and then impacts our body positively and negatively, right? So it's like you get your green smoothie. You're going to metabolize that. It's going to get in there. Your gut health is going to be better, whatever. Or you get the pound of wings. It's like, well, you're going to eat that. You're going to digest it. It's going to get into your gut and it's going to metabolize, right? So positively and negatively, it goes all into our muscle tissue, our synapses in our brain. It goes into the blood flowing through our veins, just like that. The word of God is to be taken, eaten, consumed, internalized, digested, metabolized into our spiritual nervous system. And that's exactly what happens in the garden. The words of God are the tree of life or our words, the definition of what's right and good and true will lead to a knowledge of both good and evil. And that's the whole point of scripture is that the words of God lead us to wisdom right? The whole book of Proverbs sits us down in front of two trees and says, which one are you going to take and eat from? The words of wisdom or, or that of folly and foolishness? Uh, Eugene Peterson, one more time, in his, book, in his book called Eat This Book, not his book, but he's saying eat this book as in the word of God. He says this, listen, readers become what they read. If scripture is to be something other than gossip about God, it must be internalized. Christians feed on scripture. Holy scripture nurtures the community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus's name. Hands raised in adoration of the Father and feet washed in company with the Son. I think that is brilliant and beautifully put because it's the idea that if we do not approach God's word like it is the daily sustenance that we need for life, we will miss out on what the word of God actually has to offer. Okay, so let me ask a couple questions. Do you approach scripture like it's a feast? Like you actually need it for daily sustenance? Most of us don't. So pick your favorite food, just like a buffet, like a wicked spread of all of your favorite food and how excited you are to get there and be like, I can't wait to run to that table and eat. Do you approach scripture like that? Like it's a feast of all of your most favorite delicacies and that you actually need it for sustenance. That you're going to faint. You're going to fail. You're going to be exhausted if you do not. Uh, secondly, are you hungry to hear from God? Like, do you run to hear from God and delight in what he says? Or is it like, you know when you're not hungry, but you could eat? Like, so you're like, hey, you want, you want, you want a snack? It's like, well, I could eat. Like, that, that kind of thing. It's like, well, I guess I could nibble. It's like, no, no, like, like, do you approach God's word like, like it is the meal? It's the main stage that we run to, to for, for daily sustenance. Are you hungry to hear from God? Uh, and last, do you internalize scripture? Because it's one thing to just like read it, study it, hear it. 
Do you internalize it? Have you focused on how much you've internalized? Because if you have internalized it and meditated on it and chewed on it, it's going to come out. It's going to start to be like Mr. Miyagi's actions to the karate kid, where we're going to start to see it flow out of our life. Okay, so so make this the aim of your 2022. Your your approach to the Bible. Read it slow. Like, like don't, don't rush. Like, you don't rush fine dining. Amen? Like, like, you don't. You don't rush a perfectly grilled steak. And if you do, you look at it and be like, you barbarian. You savage, right, uncouth animal, right? And it's the same thing with, with the word. Like, you don't rush fine dining. You, you chew on it. You, you cut that steak and you, you watch the juices and, and you just take it. You chew on it longer because you want to get every bit of flavor out of that meat or whatever the equivalent vegetarian thing of steak is. Eggplant probably, right? So, oh yeah, eggplant. Let me just chew those juices, right? Whatever it is. But you don't rush fine dining for a reason because it's fine. The amount of effort and time went into preparing that. So imagine we took that same mentality into the word this year and daily we, we chewed and digested and meditated on it and we prayed it and we allowed God to grow us and our deeper appetite for him and his word. So I'll give you an example. Psalm 9, okay, just a random Psalm. Psalm 9 verse 9 through 10 says this, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Now stop. If we just move on, we just move on from that. You're like, oh, nice verse. And then you just move on. You're like, okay, Dustin, what's your next point? Sermons, you know, should we wrap it up pretty soon? But that's not meditating on the word. To meditate on that scripture in particular, like listen, you could take, you could take that verse and meditate on it all year. No kidding. You could go deep into one verse all year because God is going to use that one single verse in your life this year. But if you go back to that and then you read it slow again and you regurgitate and chew on the cud and and digest it and you go back and you're like, man, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. Oh, that's good news. He's a stronghold in times of trouble. These are times of trouble. I'm really experiencing a time of trouble, but he's a stronghold for me. He's a safe place. And those who know you, because I know you, Lord, those who know you, and know your name, trust in you. For you have never forsaken anyone who has sought you out. It's like, oh. And then you then you meditate on it. Then you go back and you read it again. You read it all over again. And you start to pray scripture out. You start to actually believe it. You actually start to trust it. You actually start to understand and internalize it. Okay? So let me just practically. Here's a few ways that you can practically um, practice this. And then we'll hit a second habit. And then we're done. Okay? Practically, make the word of God, a daily non-negotiable, okay? So some of you are breakfast people, some of you are lunch people, dinner people. The way that you prioritize those meals, prioritize the word. Make it a daily non-negotiable, like food. So so whatever that looks like, and if you need help setting that up, please talk to me. I can help you be super creative about what it looks like to get into the word and do that. But find a translation you like, uh, find a reading plan that you like, find a devotional that you like, and prioritize it. Make it a non-negotiable. It's one of those things that is absolutely non-negotiable. Hopefully brushing your teeth is non-negotiable. Eating, drinking water, exercising, sleeping. Like hopefully those are all non-negotiables for you every day. Put getting into the word on the same level as all of those. Okay? Um, version is, is an app, a Bible app, or it's an 
It's, it's just called the Bible app. Um, have tons of reading plans. Some that are like month long, some that'll get you through one book in the year, some will get you through the whole Bible in a year, whatever it is. Uh, Dwell is an audio Bible that does the same. So if some of you guys are just like, you, you learn a little bit better, um, you're not really readers, uh, but you're, you're more of like audio uh, visual learners. Dwell audio Bible is an amazing option where it's like, okay, I'm gonna choose. You can like tweak your background, like ambient music. You can change the voice and the accent. You can do all sorts of stuff, right? Um, but Dwell Audio Bible is a really great option for that. And then recently, the Bible Project, which again, we've used for different ways. They do a great job at like their, their uh, book summaries and that kind of thing. Uh, they just did an update on their app where they are doing kind of a deeper dive on some of the links, um, what we call hyperlinks across the Bible. And it's every couple of weeks, they're releasing a new movement, they're calling it. And it's going throughout the whole year. So I would encourage you, check out the Bible Project app and maybe follow that this year as they just kind of show you how to go deeper. You're not going to get through the whole Bible in a year, but you are going to get a deeper understanding of the whole Bible this year. All right. So that's the first thing. Second, um, don't just read scripture alone. This is why I think we've struggled so much with spiritual habits. We've made them individual things. So in our individualistic culture that we're in, we've made them about me. It's like, well, I have to sit down and read my Bible and I have to pray and then post on Instagram with my coffee mug. Like, look, look at me, look how great I did. Right. Don't just read the Bible alone. The Bible was written by community for community. And so we need each other. Um, we have different knowledge, different lenses, different experiences, and we need each other. And that's why city group and, and uh, DNA groups and, and other ways that we can just have a friend, another brother, a sister in the church say, hey, do you want to just read? Do you want to just read like this book together this year? And then just work through it and just kind of talk about it once a week or whatever it is that, that you're actually now going to glean from one another and the way that you see things in community. It's so important. Um, third, third, ask good questions of scripture. Good ones. There's bad questions you can ask of scripture. And I think when you ask bad questions, you end up with bad answers, right? Ask good questions of scripture as you read it. First, start with, what does this say about God? Okay, because the point of scripture is God. It's not you, it's not me, and it's not what God can do for you or me. It's about God. What does this reveal about him and what he's like? Then secondly, what does it say about me? What does it actually say about the human condition, about the natural state of my heart and mind? And then next, how can this actually speak to or challenge me? And how can I respond? So if we approach that daily with the point of scripture is to get in to see who God is and what God's like and how I can respond, then what we'll start to see is that the word actually becomes a tool for obedience. Not just like, oh yeah, that was helpful to know. I, I can, you know, I like those verses now. It's like, no, no. How can I respond to the word of what I've just learned and heard about God? And heard about myself. How was I just convicted by that? And how can I now adjust and course correct towards obedience? Um, fourth, don't approach the word of God without the spirit of God. Okay, so this is really important because I think often it's just like, again, go to the word of God. Like, I'm going to learn the Bible. But we don't ever actually sit and be like, hey, the Holy Spirit, the helper, who John 14 says, teaches and brings us to remember all that God has said. Like that's the, that's the Holy Spirit's role. Okay, is to teach and bring us to remember what God has said. That's pretty awesome. That the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is there. It has been sent by God, by the Trinity, to help us. That the Holy Spirit is at work all the time in us. And, and honestly, I would argue that the Holy Spirit is at work, especially when you're not feeling it. The Holy Spirit can do the best work 
when you actually want to quit, when you actually want to walk away, when you actually don't want to live and, and kind of like commit yourself to these habits. One of the most supernatural things that you can do every day is open your Bible. One of the most supernatural things you can do is open your Bible and feast and meditate on his word daily. It is one of the most supernatural spiritual things you can do. And the Holy Spirit promises to meet us there. Promises to help us understand that. Not just individually, but in community. To draw us together as brothers and sisters around the word of God. Okay, and last point on scripture here. Memorize scripture. Memorize it. And I know it's like, it's like an old thing of like, oh, you know, memory. Some of you are amazing at memorizing scripture. Uh, it was drilled into you really early and you just like memorize a bunch of passages. Um, I'm terrible at memorization. So I have to like listen to something to memorize it because I have this really weird knack to remember song lyrics, regardless of whether I like the song or not. So it's a bit of a curse or a blessing, right? So I actually have to listen to something to memorize it. Um, but like Benedictine monks way back in the day, they had all 150 Psalms memorized. Like that, that's wild. It's just like a Psalm 18. They're like, oh, I'll tell you what it is. I can't even tell you. I can't even start. Right. And so, so memorizing scripture is so important. Some of you have entire rosters of NHL teams memorized. Like again, like some of you, oh, I can't memorize anything. It's like, yeah, but, but if I start talking to you about video games or, you know, something Oprah said or something, you know, the Habs coach said, you're going to tell me like, well, 1998 when so it's just like, what, how did you know that? Well, because it was important enough for you to actually commit it to memory. And so memorizing scripture allows us to regurgitate and kind of chew on the cud. The idea of like, I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to work it deep into my system so that it's in me. And that as life happens outside of me, it's the word of God that comes out of me, right? So if you cut me, I bleed the word of God kind of idea, okay? So that's last. Now, that's just to wrap up mem- uh, meditating on scripture, okay? So that's a first practice I want you guys to, to really commit to. We as a community are going to commit to that and continue to keep each other accountable in, in how we're approaching that, okay? Secondly and finally, and we'll end here, um, commit to habitual prayer. Habitual prayer. Now, prayer is an interesting thing because we've made it about communication. We've made it, we've made prayers what I say to God. And we've forgotten this whole rich history of prayer actually being not about talking to or with God, but prayer actually being life in the presence of God. That's what prayer is. And that's why, you know, Paul can say stuff like, um, pray without ceasing, pray without stopping. Now, some of us have been like, okay, I guess I just walk around and like pray all day in my head. No, no, no. That's not what it's it's getting at. It's that all of life is to be lived in the presence of God as a living sacrifice, a prayer up to God. That all of life, every aspect of my life, there's no parts like components of my life that are off limits for God. The whole thing, whole thing is lived in his presence and that that is a life of prayer. So think about prayer less of like, oh, when I talk to God or when God talks to me, And think about it more as a life lived in response to what God has already said and done. That prayer is a life lived in response to what God has already said and done. And family, I'm telling you, that will radically change your prayer life. Because communication is important, part of prayer for sure. And and that, that is absolutely true. I don't think we struggle so much with that part. I think we struggle to understand that prayer is more than just communication. Right? And when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, you notice it's deeply personal. It's deeply relational. It actually starts with worship. It starts with acknowledging God's presence over everything. 
that like it's your kingdom, it's your will being done. It's it's all of that. And in Matthew 6, when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he's like, don't pray like this, but pray like this, right? So he starts with the negative of like, don't do that. Don't pray like a hypocrite. Okay, so what is a hypocrite? Well, a hip- hypocrite is somebody with a mask. So don't wear a mask. Don't be fake. Like be yourself, be honest, be vulnerable. Don't pray in KJV, right? Like don't pray in King James English. Like, like you, you and I are talking like this and then all of a sudden you start praying. And you're like, oh, mighty God of the cosmos, you are so sovereign and great, you royal king. You're just like, what just happened to you? You're just possessed by King James. Like, I, you know, so, so just be yourself, right? Don't, don't, don't wear a mask. Don't talk to God any differently um, than, than how you would be sitting and talking to your spouse or a friend in the room. Come with your heart just, just laid out and talk to him respectfully and honoring him. Amen, for sure. But be yourself. Be your full self, your truest self, because God already knows, right? So he says, don't pray like a hypocrite. And then secondly, he says, don't pray like a Gentile. And the word there is empty phrases and babble, like just mindless repetition, right? And so for us, like, you know, when we pray or like when we give thanks at dinner or whatever it is as a family, we make sure we're not just repeating the same thing over and over again, right? Mindless repetition, because it's not actually taking any thought. Uh, the word there in Greek is uh, onomatopoeia, which is like a sound that is a word. So like woof. Woof isn't really a sound. It's a word that describes a sound. And that's what, that's what it's saying. Don't just like come to God and be like woof, 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 right? Like, like actually come with some kind of intention and I'm coming to, to be quiet and still and, and speak with you and, and be with you. That that's what prayer should look like. And then Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount shows us that prayer really is, is expressed neediness. That prayer is humility being practiced. Prayer isn't about like what we do know. It's actually an expression of what we don't know and what we do need. And it's about God. Prayer is about God, but it's for us. And that's what's beautiful about it. And that we actually come into friendship with God. That, that, that we actually come into relationship with God through prayer. We're reminded that we're not God and that He is. And that that's the best news possible. That, that in prayer, we're reminded and, and we're called to remember and rest in who God is. All right, so let me ask, let me ask, in 2021, I mean, how was your prayer? How did you think about prayer? How did you focus on prayer? And specifically, when did you pray? Because I know, I know you all prayed. Okay? So this isn't like, every time we talk about this, this is never like a guilt and shame. Like, like listen, like the burdens are lifted. We're free to go and fail and succeed. That, that's the beauty of the gospel. But, but I know you prayed. I know you prayed in 2021. But when did you pray? When did you, like, actually see it worthwhile to pray. That's important to pay attention to. Why did you pray? What actually prompted you to pray? Because that's going to really get to the underlying heart behind how you view prayer and ultimately how you view God. Uh, do you have scheduled time for prayer? That's really important. Because I would argue, like if you don't have scheduled time for prayer, just like if you don't have scheduled time for other daily necessities, they're not going to get done. Right? So do you have a scheduled time for prayer? Some of you are in morning people. Some of you are in night owls. Some of you are middle of the day, two o'clock. You're like at your best, whatever it is, right? Like, like, do you have a scheduled time for prayer? Are your prayers focused on being with God or what God can do for you? Are your prayers focused on being with God or what God can do for you? Okay, so those are just a few questions to help hopefully um, kind of launch us out into this year as we specifically this year focus on meditating on God's word and committing our lives um, to, to, to live a life of prayer. Okay, so to close, just to wrap up, as we stand and kind of look into 2022, 
We have no idea what this year is going to bring. Um, but a couple things, couple things to help us kind of move forward today and every day as we move forward. First, aim for small, consistent habits. Okay, small, consistent habits. Um, set goals that you could reach. Like, if you barely picked your Bible up last year, don't start with "I'm going to read the whole Bible this year," right? And because honestly, you're, you're literally setting yourself up for failure. Seven days from now, you're going to go, "Ugh, I've already failed. I've already missed three days. What's the point?" All right, more YouTube, more Facebook, more Netflix, right? Like honestly, it's just a cycle that we end up in. Aim for small, consistent habits because it's so rewarding. You go and you tick that off and you're like, man, I, I accomplished that this year. That's amazing. Next year, I can accomplish more. Next month, I can accomplish more. So whatever it is, set goals that you can actually reach, okay? When it comes to how you're going to pray, what you're going to pray, how you're going to read, and how you're going to approach the word. Set goals you can reach. Second, replace bad habits with good ones. So actually make that, okay? So like, Leave your phone in another room. Don't take your phone to the bathroom. Uh, replace your phone or whatever activity you find yourself kind of like ticking towards. Replace it with a book. Replace it with silence. Replace it with a walk. Um, replace it with music, whatever it is. Choose like a sacred space in your house. Like, like choose a, a chair or your car or like choose a, a sacred space. And allow that to be the place where you're actually, oh, that's my habit. That's where my habits are going to happen this year. Because I'm telling you, those ritual spaces, they really do help you get into a mode to a default. And I've shared with you before, it's just like, I, I, I got into the habit of just like, kids are down in bed and I just go sit on the couch. And that became my ritual. It became my, my liturgy, just sit on the couch. And it's just like, then I started like, oh no, but what, I could be actually like using this half hour, this hour. So it's like, instead of going and sitting on the couch, I would go and grab a book and I'd sit on a different couch. Because that other couch is for me to use this book, right? And then all of a sudden, there'd be nights where I'd like, I wouldn't even want to go sit on the couch. I'd want to go grab that book and go and sit down again, right? So try to think about what are some of my bad habits, the ones that really aren't leading to flourishing and life. They're not life-giving. They might be like entertaining, but they're not actually life-giving. What, what are they? And try to actively replace those with a new thing, a new action, a new habit, whatever it is. And last and, and not least, um, Use the clean slate policy. Um, our city group is using Daryl Dash's book, uh, Eight Habits for Growth. And he talks about a clean slate policy. And I, I love it. I think it's really, really helpful. But it's just that when you do get behind, because you will, you'll miss a day, life happens, you'll get sick, you'll be tired. Like, I mean, life will just get in the way. When you get behind and when you miss a day, start fresh. Wipe the slate clean and start the next day again. Because for us, Ultimately, when we look at habits, you got to remember, we're working from acceptance and approval and love, not for it. And so we're not working for God's approval. We're not working for love and favor and change. We're working from it. That's already promised to us. It's already guaranteed. We have new mercies every single morning. We just got to realize it. And so give yourself a clean slate policy this year. Set your goals to be reachable and replace those habits. Really look at what those habits can be. And do these in community. Talk about these. That's why we're doing it as a city group. So we can really walk and be like, how are you practicing rest? How are we practicing study? How are we practicing prayer? And we're keeping each other accountable. We're actually doing that together. Okay? So this year, regardless of what it brings, God's not going to be caught off guard with it. Um, and the only way for us to change how we live and how we think is to, to change who our life belongs to. And the most tangible way we can do that, church, 
is, is to really commit ourselves to a disciplined life of spiritual habits. So may we as a church walk into 2022 with a posture of humility, of submission, of service, and commit our lives to the one who loves us and takes care of us regardless of what we're walking into. All right, let me pray for us and encourage us um, to that end as we as we close. <sighs> Father, you um, <laughs> you are good. You're so good, even in stuff that we we don't we we don't str- we struggle to see uh, good stuff in the midst of in tough times in disruption. And Lord, we know that that even in seasons like this, you are you are working. You don't stop working. You you promise to complete and finish what you started. And so for us as a church, uh, Spirit, I pray that you would be the helper right now in this moment, that this morning you, you would help us. You would, you would pinpoint for us in our heart and in our mind uh, what it is, Lord, that, that we need to be aware of. That you'd help us to take, take our attention off of others or the problems out there and, and instead that you would uh, allow us to turn inward to ourself. That you'd point out pride, that you'd point out greed, that you'd point out um, sin and, and disobedience and, and sloth and, and all the things, Lord, but that, that you would do it with a, with a sweetness. You'd do it with a tenderness. And that we would be encouraged, Lord, to walk forward. That we would set good habits, good co- that we commit ourselves to lives of, of godliness and that we would train ourselves up with the power you've given us to do that. So this year, uh, today, this day, this month, Lord, we, we commit it to you. We pray that you would give us all wisdom as we walk forward, as we fight to stay together as a church, as we look into options and how we're going to do that safely and biblically and faithfully, that you would give us wisdom as we do that as well. And that ultimately, Jesus, you would build your church. The, the gates of hell or any other gate cannot stand against you building your church. And we are so grateful to be a part of that church. So we love you. Uh, we thank you. We, we offer this up to you and ask that you would just continue to finish the work that you have started in us. And we ask these things in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.